Well, this morning, we, as Jared said, we're going to start a new series on gratitude, and uh, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis 3, 1 through 24, if you've got your Bible this morning. You know, every, uh, every new ministry year, I start praying about what God would have us focus on in the first part of that ministry year. Our ministry year begins the Sunday after Labor Day, and then stretches on to the next year in June. And so this year, like last year, I felt really led to talk about prayer but this time, talk about the Thanksgiving part of prayer, the gratitude part of prayer. And so we're really excited to dig into this series on gratitude. You know, the Bible says there's a lot of different forms of prayer. We can praise Him. We can make requests. We can pray for governmental authorities. But gratitude is often very neglected. And so we want to highlight that in this, um, in this series. So be, to begin with, I want to I ask a question. Who do you think was the greatest composer or songwriter of all time. David is the answer that they gave last service as well. Well done. You know, that's, David is the biblical answer. I wasn't thinking so spiritually when I asked that question, though. Um, if you said, well, it was probably Bach or Mozart or the father of American jazz, Louis Armstrong, you might be... You might be right. But if you think about the greatest modern-day composer, that's a hard one. So we've got to go to the statistics on this. And the greatest modern-day composers, based upon the statistics, would be Lennon and McCartney. So think about, think about this. Um, together, they uh, penned 158 songs. 32 of those were number one hits penned by McCartney. 26 were penned by Lennon. Then you think about the single She Loves You, which was uh, the number one single consistently for 15 years. I found that amazing. They sold 177 million albums worldwide uh, in the U.S., 600 million worldwide, and total records sold 1.6 billion. All right, nobody comes close to that. Nobody comes close to that. And that's why when you, you go to the rankings that are ever present on the internet, the Beatles are always listed first because of those statistics. So, given that, you would expect that Lennon and McCartney had a fantastic working relationship, right? Wrong. Uh, when Paul was interviewed about his new album called Egypt Station, he was asked about the working relationship, and the, and the interviewer said, did John ever compliment you on your songs? He said, once. Once, God gave me a compliment. It was only once the whole time. It was for the song Here, There, and Everywhere, one of the songs on Revolver. And John says, just as it finishes, that's a really good song, lad. I love that song. And I'm like, yes, he likes it. And what I, what I saw in this interview was something that's sort of painful. And the painful thing is that here you've got two phenomenally gifted people. One has an impulse toward gratitude, and the other has an impulse away from gratitude. And one of the things I find about gratitude is that gratitude is not just something that I'm naturally good at or naturally bad at. Gratitude is a choice. Gratitude stems from my character. Whether I choose gratitude or don't choose gratitude is, is a matter of who I am on the inside at the character level. 
And part of the character of gratitude is, do I notice things for which I can be grateful? Okay, maybe I notice them. Do I then say thank you toward the appropriate person? See, that, that, that's all a character issue. And so what I want to do in this series is help you form a character that has an, an automatic impulse to be grateful. And so we're going to start this morning at the very beginning in Genesis 2 and 3 about how gratitude was designed to work at the beginning. So we want to talk about the creation and the fall. We want to look at the rise of negativity and the possibility of ingratitude and why that happens. Why do we, we become people who are periodically ungrateful? Well, I want you to imagine Moses in the wilderness surrounded by God's chosen nation. Get that nation in your mind. There's millions of people out there. And God is giving them some astonishing promises. Promises about what he's going to do for them when they get into the land. Promises about what he's going to provide for them. Promises about their longevity as a people. These are amazing promises. And God says, if you love me, I will prosper you. If you neglect me and fall after false gods, follow after false gods, it's going to be trouble. And so Moses, out there in the wilderness, writes the five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, but especially Genesis, to give them their worldview. You know what a worldview is. A worldview is your way of looking at the entire world. It's a comprehensive way about seeing reality. And in Genesis 1, 1 through 11, God gives them a comprehensive way about seeing reality. And part of that worldview is gratitude. Now, here's the reason why. In Genesis 3.20, we see a verse that's all about gratitude. You won't, you won't realize this until a little bit later in the message. But here's this verse. Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. What I'm going to argue is that's a profound statement about gratitude. Let me explain the background of the story. As Genesis chapter, chapter 2 closes, God creates Eve and brings Eve to Adam. And there they are, looking at each other in an unfallen world. And Adam suddenly realizes, this is what I've been looking for. God had given him the privilege of naming all the animals. There was not one animal that corresponded to him. Now, after Adam wakes up, he sees that Eve corresponds to him. She's not exactly the same. She's feminine, but she corresponds to him. And Adam breaks into a song. It's the first bit of poetry we have in the Bible. And the poetry goes like this. This, is, this now at last, this is exuberant poetry. It's an exuberant song. This now at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam did what he had been trained to do. Adam had been trained to observe reality and then name reality. And Eve now is the recipient of that blessing. She feels known and understood because Adam correctly named her and called her what, what she was. And this song at its core is an expression of gratitude. And I think this tells us something about our nature as human beings. We are wired as human beings to express gratitude. That's how God wired us. We're wired us as human beings to see the good, 
to name the good and then express gratitude to the one who provided the good. That's part of being a human. If you are um, going to be fully human, it means you are seeing the good and expressing gratitude to the giver of that good. Adam didn't give a reluctant thanks. He didn't say, oh gosh, you know, I was hoping for somebody who was blonde. Uh, I mean, God, I'm, I'm six foot five and she's, she's a little smaller than I am. And I, I wanted somebody who was my height, you know. No, Adam, is, it's exuberant gratitude. And part of being human is seeing the good and expressing gratitude toward the giver. But now we, now we run into a huge problem in the story. In Genesis 3, 1 through 6, Moses tells us the story of the fall. And he shows how the fall profoundly impacts our ability to, to, to express gratitude. I won't plunge into the, to all of the details, but you know the contours of the story. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and the serpent slithers into the garden, and with his most cunning words, he says, did, did God really say to not eat of all the trees in the garden? Did he really say that? And then he begins to, to lure Eve into looking at herself and realizing, hey, this could be good for me. This could be really good for me. It could, it could enhance me. And she takes the fruit and she bites the fruit. She gives it to Adam. He bites the fruit. And all of a sudden they realize what has happened. They, they, have, they have gone against God's command and now the race has fallen. Now, let me pause to explain that just for a second. There's a difference between hockey and football. You know what the difference is? In hockey, if you have a penalty, the person who committed the infraction is penalized, and he goes into the penalty box. whole team's not penalized, just the guy who did the penalty. In football, if there's a penalty, the whole team gets penalized. Okay? Different sports, different rules. When God set up the human race, he set it up so that the decisions of the first couple would impact the race. The choice that Adam and Eve made in that moment impacted the race, and the race became fallen. And one of the problems with the fallen human beings is that we don't express gratitude. Instead, we get locked into a cycle of negativity. So the couple immediately engages in negativity, and they respond first in fear. All of a sudden, they realize the most vulnerable parts of our body now are a cause for fear. So they sow fig leaves, and they make for themselves loin coverings. And then God shows up in the garden, and they bolt. They, they hide in fear. And God says, who, who, who said that you were naked? God, God knows. I mean, God knows. He, he's one in confession. But they're, they're, now, they're now afraid. They're not afraid. And, and then the fear leads to blame shifting because God, when God does begin to question, begin to shift the blame to avoid the shame. He approaches Eve first and Eve instantly blames the serpent. It was the serpent's fault. That serpent, he's the one that lured me into it. And then, and then God addresses Adam and God, in addressing Adam, Adam's got to look at himself and God says, Lord, it was the woman that you gave to me. He blames two people, his wife and God. Now we got, we're in this triangulation of blame shifting. Shift the blame to avoid the pain. So think about what just happened. Before the fall, the first impulse of Adam in being given a gift was to say, 
yes, thank you. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You should be called woman because you were taken out of man. What's the first impulse after the fall? Blame shifting, ingratitude, anger. I'm not going to take responsibility. The fall simply crushes gratitude. And this is one of the big effects of sin is that sin is going to poison your ability to see the good and express gratitude toward the giver. Instead, what you're going to do is you're going to see what you lack. And you become obsessed with what's not right. And what do we call the opposite of gratitude? We call it the E word, entitlement, entitlement. And what entitlement says is that I don't have what I want. Give it to me. I don't have what I want, and I'm going to be mad at you until it comes my way. You know, there's many things that can make us feel entitled. Maybe you've succeeded in a particular way, and because of the success you have, you feel kind of entitled to extra respect, extra perks, extra things that people should be, should be doing for you. Um, maybe you have experienced some terrible pain. And in your pain, you start thinking, you know, I deserve some things from people because I'm in this p- terrible pain and I, I deserve a whole lot more than I'm giving, than I'm, than I'm receiving. Or maybe you've been comparing yourself to others and you say, that person over there has that and I want that. And I kind of feel entitled to that. I've worked way harder than they have. They have more than I have. And I'm working really hard here and I need more. Entitlement is a choice. Entitlement is a character issue, and entitlement is a choice. You make the choice either to be grateful or to feel entitled, but entitlement crushes feelings of gratitude. And I will tell you, we live in a culture where entitlement has run rampant, and we we don't even realize how much it is immersed into our culture. Um, and so now in Genesis 3.14, God steps in and issues some consequences. And here's where Adam's ears prick up and he starts realizing some things need to change. God addresses the serpent and he says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. And Adam realizes, wait a second, her seed, that means there's going to be a progeny. There's going to be an offspring. We're going to have kids. He files that away. And then God addresses Eve, and, and he says, um, there's going to be pain in child-rearing. And, and Adam files that away. Okay, okay. God said, we're going to have children, and doesn't, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of children. Okay, he's filing that away. And then uh, Adam addre- God addresses Adam and, and says, Adam, these consequences are going to apply to your work. Your work is going to be fallen. And it's not just farming. All of us know that our work has fallen, right? Hard drives crash. People don't do what they promise. Accounts receivables don't come in on time. Work is fallen. And so now Adam and Eve are living in a fallen human, uh, fallen universe. And there's a pregnant pause in the story. And the pause is, what is the couple going to do now? Because last we heard from them, They were at each other. No, it's his fault. No, it's her fault. And now that these consequences have come, don't you think it's possible that they could be at each other again? Oh, look at what you did. Look at the consequences now that are going to extend to the entire human race. But it's possible that that could have happened. But that doesn't happen. 
Instead, what happens is Adam looks at his wife and he says, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Theoretically, Adam could have said, I'll tell you a name I'm going to give you. It's going to be death maker. It's going to be harm bringer. It's going to be dream crusher. And I'm going to call you that for the rest of your life because you deserve that because you were the one. That's what he was doing before. He theoretically could have done that again. But Adam's impulse now is to coin a term that expresses gratitude both to her and to God for what is about to happen. This is a beautiful name. And let me just drill down to this name a little bit. And you know, Adam's first poetic statement was a statement about who she was as a woman. Adam's second statement presents her with her proper name, which is Eve. And it's a beautifully picturesque Eve name. When you, when you hear this, you envision a mom surrounded with life and love. You envision a leader filled with wisdom and, and discernment. You envision a woman endowed with humble power and gracious authority. You are Eve. You are the mother of all the living. It is an honoring term. It's an empowering term. Now, why was that such a high honor? The reason, the reason why is because in the ancient world, farming was the way you lived. And in order to, to be enriched in the ancient world, you had to have a lot of kids who were working the ground and tilling the fields. So the more kids you had, the more of an economic income you had, and you were, you were delivered from the possibility of poverty. And so what he's saying is, I, I honor you and the role that you're going to play in our family and the role that you're going to play in the human race. And every time Adam voiced that name, he is affirming her identity and he is expressing honor. This, this is one of the, one of the great verses in, in the entire Bible. It's the name of honoring gratitude. And I think we draw an important idea from this. Gratitude is built into our humanity before the fall. And gratitude should be built into our humanity after the fall. In other words, if we're going to be fully human, we need to be people who are learning how to express gratitude. Now God begins to give them a whole package of, of gifts after the fall, after the gratitude. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. In my understanding, the pre-incarnate Christ comes down. He creates and he makes an animal sacrifice. He pulls the skins off of that animal. And Adam and Eve are clothed in the results of that sacrifice, just like you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. You might think that's a bad thing, but the Lord God sent them out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which it was taken. He drove them out. But this is a good thing. Because see, to be, to be in a permanently separated relationship with God is hell. And by getting them out of the Garden of Eden, there's now the possibility of redemption. And so God gave them this package of gifts as fallen human beings. But I will tell you that the gift of the skins ensured that the gratitude went up toward God because that's one verse, 
But the verse implies a lifestyle of worship and gratitude to the God who continues to forgive us after we sin. What I'm saying is to be fully human is to express gratitude. To be a fully human, redeemed individual means you continue to express gratitude. So think about what this, what this story teaches. We first see horizontal gratitude. I can, ex- I can express gratitude to another person. Adam expressing gratitude to Eve. But then we also see vertical gratitude. I can express gratitude to God. And, th- and then we see a humble gratitude because as I express gratitude toward God, I recognize that he is the one who is responsible for the good things that I have in my life. So the worldview that is described in Genesis chapter two and three is a worldview that stresses the goodness of God and the necessity for human beings to encounter gratitude. So that leads us to the main idea of this story, because this is a, a statement about how to address pain in, the fallen, in our fallen world. And here's the key, key idea. To overcome the pain of a fallen world, I must engage in the regular discipline of experiencing and expressing gratitude. And it's more than just expressing it. I first have to experience it. I have to have the, the mental fortitude, the mental ability to observe what is good, experience that good, and then express that back to God. This is not a denial-based gratitude. You know, there are times where I, I see people involved in denial-based gratitude. They don't see the bad. They're not willing to see the bad. All they'll see is the good. I was introduced to a term uh, a couple of weeks ago called toxic happiness, which is a denial-based happiness. I'm going to deny any bad, and I'm, I'm just going to think positive thoughts. That can be toxic because you're not dealing with reality. No, genuine gratitude is not denial-based. It's based upon reality. The psalmist all the time saw the pain, they saw the bad, and yet they chose to express gratitude toward a God who was profoundly good. Notice that this idea follows the contours of the story. Before the fall, God hardwired us for gratitude. After the fall, we're still hardwired for gratitude. There's something about being fully human that requires that we grow in this discipline gratitude. So, so what is gratitude exactly? What is it? I mean, okay, it's about giving thanks, but let's, let's dr- drill down into what gratitude actually is. Well, gratitude implies three things. It implies there's such a thing as good in this world. It implies that as I go throughout life in a fallen world, that I will encounter certain people who are good, certain things that are good, and certain situations that bring me happiness. So it's an acknowledgement that there is good in this world. And then, uh, gratitude implies that the goodness that I've received comes from outside of myself. I, I can't produce the good things that I need. Like, like you know, I, I had parents who, who brought me into this world. I couldn't bring myself into the world. I had parents, you know, who fed me and taught me how to walk. I couldn't teach myself those things. You know, the goodness that I've received and continue to receive comes from outside myself. And it's a humble person who recognizes that about this world. And then gratitude 
is, always has to be expressed. And by expressing gratitude, I strengthen my relationship with the one who is my giver, right? So there's certain human beings who will give me things. As I express gratitude, I strengthen that relationship. The God of the universe gives me things. As I express gratitude, I strengthen that relationship. So here's a picture on the screens of my dad. My dad is in his 90s. And, um, and so um, my dad has given me many good things throughout my life. My dad has been very generous, at times very generous throughout my life. Now, when I am talking to my dad at age 91, often I'm wanting, my impulse is to express gratitude for what he did in creating good in my life. And so as I do that, I'm honoring him, but that also give, brings in me the impulse to pay it forward for my kids and my grandkids. You know, my, my dad has never gotten the phone with me and said, Rod, back when you were a sophomore at Southern Methodist University, you had a really expensive long distance phone bill one semester, and you never paid me back for that. I want to know when I can expect the check. Can you Venmo that to me this afternoon? He never does that. No, his impulse was, 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 the, was good things for me, right? And I, I received those good things. Now, what's my impulse with my kids? I, mean, I, I want to be a conduit of that same blessing to them. By God's grace, we got 11 grandkids, you know, and I want to be a conduit of relational blessing to them. So as I'm expressing gratitude to my dad, I'm also thinking, okay, how also can I pay this forward in the culture of our family so the legacy that he gave me, I can extend that forward? That's the wonderful way that, that, gratitude, that gratitude works. And God knew that we would, we would need that because he was going to do good things for us. Give you an example. My mom one time was, walk, was driving across the country with my two sisters who were very young at the time. They were in a stretch of West Virginia where there was a very, very long valley, a very long valley, and you kind of drove down into that valley, and then you drove up out of that valley, and along that stretch of road, there were no side roads, only that one road. You could see for miles, way down into the valley, way up out of the You could see for miles. They got down to the bottom of the valley and the car broke down. My mom is not a mechanic. My daughters were really little. My mom's thinking, oh no, what do I do? This is before cell phones or the internet or OnStar. Mom's thinking, what do I do? She's looking forward, no car, looking backward, no car. She says, okay, girls, let's pray. She prays. As soon as she opens her eyes, in the rear of the mirror, she says, car. Now, she'd been, she'd been looking. There was no car. She says, car. Guy gets out of the car, knocks on the door, and he says, hey, can I, can I help you? She says, yeah, my car's broken down. He lifts up the hood. He does a few things. He says, okay, I think I fixed it until you get to the gas station, but it needs to be fixed. So here are the directions of the gas station. Okay, thank you. She gets into the car, starts the car. There's no car. Like, no car ahead, no car behind. There's no side streets, no car. What do you suppose my mom says in that moment? What a coincidence. <laughs> wow. Life's quirky that way, you know? 
You know, you have a need. You know, something happens. It's, it's crazy. It's wild. No, my mom said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Gratitude is this gift that God gives to us that allows us to direct our emotions to the right person, ultimately the God of the universe, and many times to the people whom God uses to gift us with good things like friends and family. So God in the Old Testament law, he, he gave a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know, if, if you felt particularly thankful, you could take a very expensive animal, you could take it to the, to the tabernacle, and that animal, animal could be killed, and you could, would present that to the priest, and that was called a thank offering. And people had this as a way of showing gratitude toward God for what God was doing in their life. We see this all the time in the Psalms, where the psalmists are in the most horrible situations. They're seeing raw, painful reality, and the psalmists express their pain to God, and then their gratitude, God, I thank you. When this, is, when this thing's over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present a thank offering to you because you delivered me from this situation. God gives us that, those disciplines in the Old Testament. Even Jesus, you know, the one who needed nothing before the feeding of the 5,000, he paused, and what did he do? He gave thanks to the Father. So this is, this is something that we're commanded to do as a discipline in the Old Testament. And even within the members of the Trinity, there are expressions of thanks and gratitude. The Bible is very clear about this. That gratitude is to be the default habit of our lives, and it starts off with a choice. Will I be all entitled and demanding and snippy and complainy, or will I express gratitude? So the big idea again, to survive and even thrive in this fallen world, I must engage in the regular discipline of experiencing and expressing gratitude. I'm wired for this as a redeemed human being. So with that in mind, let's look at some takeaways. Um, here's some ways you can start to weave gratitude into your life. Number one, start small. Start small. We live in an entitlement culture. And an entitlement culture is like you waking up in the morning and putting on a pair of smudgy, greasy, dark sunglasses. So let's say you wake up in the morning, you put those glasses on, and you go throughout your day, you don't see colors, you don't see beauty, you don't see intangible things in relationships, all you see is dark, smudgy grossness. That's a new word. You're not seeing the nuanced beauty of life. All you're seeing is just bad stuff. And so you get start being complaining. Like, I'm, I'm mad because things aren't better. Well, you got, you got a pair of sunglasses on, those entitlement sunglasses on, that are smudged and smeared, and that's why you're not seeing the goodness. You've chosen to put a pair of sunglasses on where you can't see the details of life. This, this is the ethos of our world. You can't help but be on social media or the internet or entertainment these days and not start copying an attitude in you of entitlement. I, yeah, I, I do deserve more, doggone it. Yeah, and I'm going to start expecting more. 
To change this, you've got to start with very small expressions of gratitude. You could say things like this, Lord, I thank you for the sunrise. Lord, what a beautiful sunset. I'm just going to pause here for a second and savor this sight. Lord, thank you for the taste of this hot coffee. See, the entitlement version of that is, oh, Starbucks, it's just not what it should be, you know, or I have this coffee in Seattle that's so much better than this coffee here at Starbucks, you know, and oh, my, that latte, they, they put too much of the hazelnut syrup in the latte. And, I, and all of a sudden, we're stuck back into the complaining entitlement idea. No, I just, God, thank you for the taste of this hot coffee. It's really good today. Th Father, thank you for the for the taste of this fresh fruit that's perfectly ripe. Lord, thank you for the, the white peach that is so ripe and so tasty, it tastes like candy. Lord, thank you for the, sm the fresh, clean scent of my little infant who just came out of her bath. That's small, small, but significant. Lord, thank you for that fun smile my wife just gave to me. Thank you, Lord, for that memory that just flitted across my mind. That was a good time. Lord, thank you for the smell of freshly cut grass on the lawn when it's wet out. These are micro expressions of gratitude, but micro expressions of gratitude is exactly how the choice for gratitude takes place. It's a habit that you have to begin in the small areas. Now, I, I got to push back against an objection to this because I have heard strenuous objections to this. And the objection is, somebody will say, oh, brother, oh, brother, you just don't know about the finer things in life. And there are a group of people who fancy themselves as sophisticated evaluators of fine things. Seriously, because they know the fine things of the world they become connoisseurs of excellence. At least they fancy themselves that way. And I will tell you, it does not matter your socioeconomic status at all. There are people who are, have high means socioeconomically and people who have not much socioeconomically. And the impulse is to be a sophisticated evaluator of the finer things. And they look down on people who express gratitude like you just don't know about what's really good in life. And if you did, you'd know that that cup of coffee is not as good as, as Storyville in Seattle. And therefore, you would judge this negatively. Okay? Look, that is entitlement. And entitlement poisons gratitude. So here's the thing. You start small, start small in your marriage. Start small in your job. Start small even in your trial. Start small in your marriage. I mean, I mean, look, you can be mad at your spouse, but is there one thing you can be thankful for? Be thankful for that thing. You can be frustrated with your job. Is there one thing you can be thankful for? Be thankful for that thing. You can be in a terrible trial, but even in the trial, is there something in that trial for which you can be thankful? Express gratitude for that one thing. Start small. The second takeaway is start small for 21 days or longer, but start small for 21 days. Now, why, why 21 days? What's the big deal about, about 21 days? Well, I, I want you to know that um, your brain neurons, in order to change a habit, need to f begin firing in a different way. Need, they need to, your, brain, your brain is plastic. Neuroplasticity 
is a wonderful component of your brain, which means your neurons can begin firing in different ways. Well, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who's done some great work on this, uh, talked about the fact that most habits require 21 days before the neurons begin to fire together. And so if you are at a place where, yep, okay, I'm, in, I'm, I'm involved in entitlement, that's part of my life, then for you to change, that means you got to change for at least 21 days. But better yet, I mean, I want you to just change for the whole time we're doing the series. We're doing the series for six weeks, right? So, so why don't you look at a six-week challenge of I am going to become a person whose first impulse is gratitude and see what God does over the course of this six-week time, time period. Start small, start for 21 days, and then start small, but think long. Start small, but think long. Now, think about this for a second. Adam is naming his wife the mother of all the living. Here's what Adam could have said. Adam could have said, you know, I'm thinking about a really honoring name to give her. But I'm not going to give it to her yet, because I don't know if she's going to be the mother of all the living. Like, well, when we have four kids, then I'll name her Eve. No. He does that right from the very beginning because God had given her that identity. She will be a conduit, a blessing. She will be the progenitor of offspring. God had given her that identity. So Adam, by faith, is saying, I'm going to name her this honoring, gratitude-laden name by faith, anticipating what's going to happen long in the end of the future. So you do the same thing. You do the same thing. Start being grateful for things now as you anticipate what God is going to do in the future. We had a really interesting experience many years ago. We were living in California. We were renting a house in Southern California, and we were leasing our house that we owned in Dallas. And one day, the realtor in Dallas said, hey, you got some problems with your house. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require pretty significant repairs. Okay, what's the price tag? It's going to be about $3,000. Oh, brother. Here were church planters in Southern California, and we have a $3,000 bill coming from Dallas. That was not a good time. And uh, within about a week, unexpectedly, a check came into the mail for $3,000 that satisfied what was needed with that house. Thank you, God, for that. So then, about two years later, we faced another need, significant need. And I looked at that need, and I said, okay, God, you, you provided before two years ago I know I should trust that you'll provide again, but I'm a little afraid that you're not. I'm afraid that what you did back then, I've exhausted your generosity, and you're not going to be generous again. Uh-uh, I, I, I couldn't do that. I had to say, God, we have this need, and I'm thanking you in advance that you're going to provide for this need just like you did two years ago. And God did that. He did. So you, you start small, but by faith... You think long with your gratitude, and you continue expressing gratitude in advance of what God may do in the future. Here's a fourth takeaway. Fourth takeaway is start small now, like right now. So I'm going to ask you to do this right now. I want you to, to name something for which you are thankful right now. Get it in your mind. Get it in your mind. Some of you know exactly what it is. Get it in your mind. Maybe you want to write it down. Could be something in a trial. Could be something that's really good. 
Think about that one thing for which you were thankful. And I want to encourage you just, just right now silently to say, God, thank you for that thing. And then I want to encourage you over the next 10 hours to express gratitude for that thing today. Just, and I want you to do it 12 times, 12 times in 10 hours. What is it? It's 12 o'clock right now. From now till 10 p.m., I'm asking you 12 times, a dozen times, to thank God for that one thing that he just brought to mind. Let's start now to express gratitude for what God is doing in your life. So I'm going to close with a story. Here's Margaret Hamilton. Margaret Hamilton is standing next to the listings of the software that she and her MIT team produced for the Apollo Project. They produced a computer for the Apollo Project. It was an amazing computer. An amazing computer. You want to see it? Want to see the computer? Here it is, right here. That's the computer for the Apollo Project. Wow. Okay. That computer uh, was 32 kilobytes, not megabytes, not gigabytes, not terabytes, kilobytes, kilobytes. That got them to the moon. Uh, but your smartphone has way more than 32 kilobytes. A lot of your smartphones, you know, have 256 megabytes in them, right? Have you ever paused to say, God, like, thank you that I live in a time where I have a phone that is so powerful, where I can FaceTime with kids who are halfway across the world, where I can bank on my phone, where I can buy tickets to entertainment events. But what, what usually happens with our smartphones? We go, oh, this thing is so frustrating. I've got an iPhone, I, iPhone 7 and I want a 10. So frustrated with this thing. Entitlement. And we don't even realize it because that's the ethos of our culture. So here's what we want to do in this series. We want, in this series, what we want to do is we want to move toward a culture of gratitude personally and a culture of gratitude corporately as a church.